Hey, happy Monday. It is Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and my co-host Canucks Insider Thomas Drantz here with you. Drantz are, of course, also covering the team for the Athletic. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. And we are coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Um, Another loss, 4 nothing to Seattle on Saturday. Drancer, I am not sure I have ever seen and heard this amount of consternation and anxiety and frustration uh, based on preseason results as exists around Canucks and Canucks fans right now. Yeah. Well, the preseason... So, let I mean, that's the big question. Does it matter, right? Does the preseason matter is the question that everyone in this market now is asking and talking about and debating. Everywhere you look, every online space you visit, every radio show you tune on, turn on, every television show you turn on. I think on. Every, every person you talk to. I was hanging out with a couple of buddies, big Canucks fans this weekend, and it's they, were, they had kind of moved past the doesn't matter to just, I hate this already, right? <laughs> but that's the debate. That's the conversation that's happening. Does it matter? Is it single? Yeah. And it's a really funny thing because... The preseason doesn't matter, except that it kind of does, right? It's one of those. Like, it's one of those that both doesn't and does all at once. You know, you watch the Canucks play on Thursday night, right? Does it matter that Andre Kuzmenko looks like he has the skill set to produce points in this league? Like, I think it does. Yeah. I watch him crush it with that wrist shot. I, I watch him work the net front with the Canucks power play, and I say, wow, this guy can play and... This team's going to have a lethal power play. Like, that's my takeaway from watching the preseason game. No one objects to that. No one's like, ah, it doesn't matter. You know, and if you say that, I'm like, well, yeah, but look at all the underlying things, and this is the reason why I think the power play is good, and da-da-da-da-da. So when the coin gets flipped, all of a sudden it doesn't matter? I think It doesn't make sense. Like, you have to be consistent. The challenge, and this is the challenge when something good happens and the challenge when something bad happens, is sorting through... What actually matters and what doesn't matter, right. right? What you should actually be concerned about and what is just preseason fluff. Okay, right? so what That's were you concerned challenge. about from Okay, Saturday. so, well, first of all, I think, obviously... And also, invite, I want to invite our listeners, yeah. text in, tell us what, what you what were concerned out, about. What's concerned about, and, what, what are you not concerned about, and, and also, tell us, do you think the preseason matters? Yeah, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. But, and this, this again, you know, obviously it's easy when you lose 4 nothing. That's such an ugly result. It's an ugly scoreline. There's going to be lots of things to be concerned about. But I do think, as, you know, even in the regular season, we talk about this. you got to be focused on the actual process more than the results, right? And, you know, we had this conversation after they blew the lead in Thursday's game where, you know, even if they had won that game in overtime and one of their chances in overtime, there's still some underlying process things that you're not particularly excited about there. So you do have to try to zero in on that. I'll tell you one thing that I thought was really bad in Saturday that I'm not concerned about first. I thought JT Miller and Tanner Pearson played really, really poorly, but I'm not too concerned about that. Yeah. Over the course of 82 games, I have a lot of confidence that those guys are going to be good, that they're going to be effective players. Now, you could maybe look at some of JT Miller's play in his own end and be a little concerned about that because that was a point of emphasis he was making and all that. But generally, I'm pretty confident that JT Miller and Tanner Pearson are going to be okay as a duo, even though I thought they really struggled on Saturday. Oh, yeah. The thing to be least concerned about, in my view, is the performance of established vets in the first week yep. of the preseason. That is what absolutely means the least to me uh, coming out of out of preseason action. But I agree with you. I, I mean, I think the 
That, for me, no concern. The fact that the Canucks have been shut out, what, twice? Yeah. No concern. I believe that this team is going to be able to score and manufacture offense, and I have very little concern about the possibility of them being a sub-average offensive team. Like, they're at least going to be in the middle of the pack. There's a real chance that they're far better than that. I definitely think they're going to be elite or at least high-end on the power play. So, you know, as an example, like, to throw one back that I'm not worried about, the Canucks haven't scored much in the preseason. No concern on my end about that. This team is going to produce offense. Now, to transition to something that I was legitimately concerned about, and speaking of transitioning... The defense and their ability to move the puck. And to be fair, Quinn Hughes was not in the game, but man, they had a lot of turn, a lot, or sorry, a lot of problems getting the puck out of their zone efficiently and quickly and in a dangerous method. And maybe this is partly confirmation bias, right? Because we all expected it to be a problem but, and it was a problem But last that's year. always what you glom onto in the preseason, right? Yeah. Like Pedersen is dialed in and that's a great sign for the Canucks in the preseason, right? It's like, well, why? Because we know what it looks like when Pedersen's dialed in. And when he's dialed in, we expect great things from him, right? It's not, oh, who's this guy? He looks good, right? Like, like we know what he can do when he's motivated in a certain way, when he looks a certain when he when he carries himself a certain way about the ice surface. So we draw meaning from it. Just like we know what it looks like when this team struggles to move the puck when it yeah. gets stuck in their own end. When a player like Pedersen plays really well in the preseason, you know he's capable of sustaining it. Yep. So it's easier to, to rather than a, a guy who was in the AHL last year, you're like, well, okay, I'm going to be a little right. skeptical. With Pedersen, you're saying, okay, I know he can do that consistently, so that's really exciting. And as you're just saying, it's the Likewise. same thing with the Canucks problems move the move the puck. You know it's an ongoing issue for this team, and when it turns up like it did in a, such a negative way, in such a glaring way on Saturday... It's really, really concerning. I think it is very fair to be concerned about that going into the season. I remember last year talking endlessly about who would kill penalties for the Canucks at this time of the year. The week and a half leading up to the season, every radio hit I did, you can go listen to my old Halford and Bruff stuff. Everything I did was, who's going to kill penalties for this team? Who's going to kill penalties? And that turned out to matter, right? Now, this season, sort of what's emerging for me and what I was most concerned about coming out of Every preseason game I've seen so far is the level of help in front of Thatcher Demko in terms of what he's looking at, in terms of the quality of chances that he's looking at, in terms of this team's defensive play, um, looks disorganized. Like, it's it's not about the goals that are being surrendered. It's not about the scoreline. It's not about anything other than they're giving up too much. They're giving up too many chances. They're losing too many battles in front of the net. I heard Luke Shen speak a little bit about being heavier to yep. defend. Um, they're not in. They're not getting position consistently in front of the net, and the chances they're surrendering are too good. Now, over the course of the last five years, this has been a really bad defensive team. And last year, they were closer to league average. Now, their goals against results were top ten, top five under Boudreaux, but there was a lot of smoke and mirrors there in terms of them having the best five-on-five save percentage in the NHL. You expect that to regress a bit. So we already know that the Canucks success in the second half of the season was built off of a likely unsustainable foundation, defensively speaking. But there's more to it than that, right? It was also built off of, you know, Luke Shen being effective in a top four role. Obviously not ideal. It was built off of Tyler Myers at the age of 31 having the best defensive season of his career, right? And Oliver ekman Larson having the best defensive season that he's had since he was 26, at the age of 31. So they're going to need two 31-year-old defenders to sustain a level of defensive quality that's outside their form. In Tyler Myers's case, for his entire career. In Oliver Ekman-Larsen's case, like since he was uh, a fringe Norris candidate, you know, in his mid-20s. 
Um, that to me begins to be concerning, particularly when you look up and down the forward ranks and just don't see a ton of lockdown type players. Uh, Mikheyev is, right? Mikheyev mm-hmm. is. Uh, Brock Besser and Tanner Pearson can hold up in tufts, but I don't know that you'd call them stoppers. And then among their centermen, Bo Horvat's sort of the best suited to doing it. Um, but, you know, he's sort of like a, a neutral two-way impact guy mm-hmm. who can who can hold up in tough minutes and produce a bit, right? Like And, and still produce like a second-line player. Super valuable. That's a super valuable piece. He's a good defensive player, especially five-on-five, five, but it's not high-end, right? JT Miller's talked about his issues there, wanting to improve there. He's a high-end defensive winger. He's a low-end defensive center. That's not uncommon, right? That's like um, that's like moving a guy from shortstop to third base, right? Like high-end right, on the hot right. corner, low-end shortstop, right? The same thing. Elias Pettersson has the tools, the anticipation to do it. We've just never seen him do it before. He's never held up in those tough minutes. So you look up and down this roster, and you know my confirmation bias anyway, like what I'm seeing in the preseason that I worry is signal because it matches my priors about this team is – is it is this team approaching the season in a way where they're likely to sort of regress in terms of the goals they're surrendering? Um, because if they are, you know, then they're going to need every ounce of that offense to win games as opposed to last year where they won, you know, some two ones. They won some three twos. They were preventing goals. They took a lead and they held those leads. Right. Uh, Boudreaux talked about that after the Thursday game. Right. Like usually when we get these We've been leads, pretty good at it. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's where I get a little bit nervous that what we're seeing does matter a bit. And I thought I think it was the two nothing goal uh, on Saturday early in the third period that kind of illustrates a lot of what you're talking about, right? Where there's a turnover behind the net from Tyler Myers, and look, that's kind of baked into Tyler Myers's game. There's going to be some moments like that. He was producing offense uh, on on Saturday, but also you know giving some back on the uh, on the other end. And there's a turnover behind the net. JT Miller is there. He's he's by the Seattle player that ends up with the puck but just doesn't make a strong defensive play on it. And it's a bang-bang play out into the slot, and it beats Thatcher Demko. And, you know, it's Thatcher Demko's going to get beat on really high-grade high A opportunities like that. Every goalie is well, going to get beat If you like surrender that. enough what happens. Because yeah. he stopped a lot of them, right? Like, Demko is great. Demko gives you a shot, even if you're permissive, um, you know, to put up at least modestly decent or, or even good defensive numbers from a goals-against perspective. But he needs more help. And so... Week one of the week one, like to me, that goal is an example of one that I'm not too worried about. It was more that because Myers Miller, they're going to be better come Friday. They're going to be better, be better come the dress rehearsal version of the preseason uh, that the Canucks play. Uh, those guys, you know, we we really do know what what they are, and they're good players. They're you know certainly J T. Miller's a, a net positive, um, and Tyler Myers can be. Um, so, you know, I'm not worried about those guys. I'm just worried about the flow of the last three games and what we've seen pretty consistently which is just a barrage of high quality shots and far too much traffic far too easily gained in front of the Canucks net if that's a trend that we see over the course of the next three games this week you know then I'm going to say hey look that's something that really could matter here that that's something that could matter I'm not saying it does I'm saying it could and it's certainly trending in a way where my priors about this team 
defensively, where my concerns about their goal prevention as as a club, um, you know, begin to be triggered a bit, begin to be on watch anyway, to see if they can iron it out over the course of the next week of, of preseason contests, exhibition games, but also practice. Uh, African Canuck texts in. Lots of good texts coming in. We'll get to them throughout the course of the show. But he texts in, uh, I'm concerned that our defense on Saturday is the same lineup as we'd see in the regular season if Hughes misses any games. They looked terrible, and that's worth being concerned about. I mean, yeah, if you for some reason still needed any uh, evidence for how important Quinn Hughes is to the Canucks and what they do from the blue line, that game was certainly uh, a really strong piece of it because without Quinn Hughes in the lineup, it was just such a struggle for them to consistently move the puck from the back end. I actually thought Jack Rathbone did it pretty well. I thought he was the only player who was kind of consistently making effective plays uh, in the transition game from the defensive zone, but... I mean, the guy who stood out, and I don't want to pile on him too much because I know he's he's shaken off rust and he's coming back from an injury, but I was really concerned with Tucker Pullman's play on Saturday. And if the plan is to have him, you know, I know we've talked about, do they want to try him with Quinn Hughes again? Do they want to try him with OEL? Something like that. If the plan is for Tucker Pullman to play a really big role, a significant role on the blue line early in the season, you know, maybe he does shake off to the rust to the point where he's able to handle that at some point down the road, but that doesn't look like it's coming in the in the near term to me, just based on where his game is at right now. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a good game for him. You know, Pullman's got a relatively lengthy track record at this point. We're talking about, what, a sample of 150, something like that, mm-hmm. NHL games. Uh, you know, I think he is fine on a third pair playing a defensive role, ideally with a puck mover who's more defensively calibrated so that he's not having his possessions wasted because Tucker Pullman does genuinely take a bit off the table offensively. Um, but he's a, he's a good defensive player. I'm not worried about Pullman. So long as the expectations are, can he be a third pair right-handed defenseman? Where I think things get interesting is if you play Hughes on the right versus if you don't, right? If you play Hughes on the right, then you go Myers and is it Shen or Pullman? Like right now it has to be Shen, surely. It has to be. Okay. Absolutely has to be. Are you concerned yeah. enough about Pullman then that that you'd be nervous about the Canucks moving Hughes back to the left side? Because that would shoehorn him into the lineup. I would rather, I think I right now, at least to start the year, I'd rather go Hughes on the right. And then you go Hughes, Myers, Shen down the right side. Yep. Okay. That, so, and now, uh, well, we're not we're not criticizing anyone. We're yeah. just a, a sort of uh, elucidating the the shape of Vancouver's choices here. Yeah. Right. The the and Pullman, Travis Dermott's health might change that. Right. Totally. Because we don't know what's going on. So and if he's, he's not available. Right that's a different that's a different story. Um. But yeah, right now that's if you can find a way to make it that down the right side, that's what I would do to start the season. Yeah. I mean, I just worry that you lose too much with Hughes. Like, uh, you know, I don't think the I don't think the marginal value of uh, having Pullman out of the lineup versus, um, you know, having w- one other guy is is worth the loss in value of, of Hughes on his unnatural side, uh, on his right side. But, um, you know, we'll see it play out. That's just the shape of the decisions that you're looking at over the course of the, of the last week, though, right? Is, you know, the, the um, sort of pros and cons of various choices at the top of your lineup and how they cascade down to impact some of your lower end roster decisions. So the Pullman thing to me is interesting because of the questions it poses that could impact a guy like Shen, right? Uh, And likewise, you know, could impact their decision on who to place on waivers, for example, right? Like if Pullman's at the point where you, you might be considering cutting him, I mean, that's you know, one point one two five million that you can sh- shave off your of your ca- opening day cap. He can still be on the opening night twenty three man, but if he clears waivers beforehand, 
that could be useful. And that's sort of some of the factors to keep in mind here, too. Well, and if you're not, it, it, depending on what your level of confidence with Pullman is, you know, we've talked about the potential of Kyle Burroughs going on waivers. Does that change your calculation there, right? Where you say, actually, you know, we can't afford to lose this guy because we need that extra depth on the right side, right? Because I've, you know, in what little we've seen of Kyle Burroughs, I've been pretty impressed. I've well, enjoyed it. He's Kyle Burroughs. He's, and, been, he's been good. And his waiver risk is through the roof. Guys, yeah. 750K right-handed defenders who can skate and fight and play minutes, they don't clear. Those guys don't clear waivers. Like, they just don't. Uh, 60% likely, I think, he gets claimed. And I think you just look at their depth chart on the right side. And that they can't afford a, to lose him. I don't think you can. Well, and I don't think they will. Like, I don't. I think they'll try and figure out a way. You know, my formulation has often assumed that they wouldn't waive a guy like Pullman. But I wonder, I wonder how that changes. So, you know, I've been talking a lot about the Joshua versus Burroughs sort of decision. But, I mean, there are other ways around it if you're willing to waive guys who we wouldn't have anticipated them being right. willing to waive. Um, does that become a conversation for Canucks management? Not for, not for the public, but for Canucks management over the course of the next week based on what we've seen from their defense? Wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me, particularly as the injuries mount and the picture of how to get to opening day gets that much muddier. I want to talk about something that I liked from Saturday. Um, we've finally seen, like after a quiet start to training camp, I think we've finally seen, and he's left no doubt, why Dakota Joshua needs to be on this team, right? We've finally seen the thing he provides that there's no one else on this roster that yeah. provides or even comes close to providing. And as such, I think we have a good sense or should have a good sense of, you know, the fact that Dakota Joshua is going to be a fixture on that Canucks fourth line. Uh, unless he plays higher up the lineup, I think we can assume that Curtis Lazar is going to be on that fourth line. I, I actually thought the Lazar, Dickens, and Joshua line, I, I liked what I saw well, from it on Saturday. I thought that was one of the bright spots. It was absolutely one of the bright spots, and I wonder if that's going to be the trio we see. Like, I know Phil Giuseppe has had a great camp. I thought he played well again on Saturday. I think they kind of need his speed, to be totally honest with you, in the lineup, with especially if Mikhaev's not ready to begin the season. Um, and then, and then, you know, so Phil DiGiuseppe, I think, has done a a good job, and he, he's shown well. Niels Oman has showed really well. I think. I think he's given anybody watching a ton of confidence that he can come up and do the job. Should injuries hit at any point in the season, but you know that fourth line to me makes the most sense. Lazar's the guy who you've been bumping up the lineup. He's been a fixture on your penalty killing uh, units in practice. Looks looks like looks like the sort of mainstay, like linchpin of, of Vancouver's fourth line for this upcoming season. That's what he was signed to do. He's done nothing to no. you know uh, shake his perch uh, in that spot. Dakota Joshua brings some energy, some size, some speed, a bunch of qualities in terms of the heaviness of his game that no one else on this Canucks team can match. And then Jason Dickinson. I still think he probably has to go on waivers for cap reasons, but he can be called up before the first game and. I don't know how you open the season without him. Like I just don't. I, I just think if your goal is to carve out some additional cap flexibility for next season, and it is, like make no mistake, the Canucks need it. They know they need it, right? They're only a meaningful expiring contracts, Bo Horvat, and they don't want to lose Bo Horvat. You're not better at losing Bo Horvat. So, you know, they do want to find a way to do that. There's no way you're ever going to if Jason Dickinson begins the season below the line. Right? He might be able to clear waivers, but he has to be in your opening night lineup or you are basically waving the white flag, as the Canucks did a few years ago with Sven Berchi, mm -hmm. on ever managing that asset to uh, the point where you can trade it. And so, 
I just don't see a way around it. I think that's I think that's what the fourth line's got to look like. And especially with the injuries, because if, if Mikheyev and Besser were healthy, well, then you start to look at it and you think, okay, does Hoaglander bump down to the fourth line? Then we have to take one of these guys off of it. We know we just acquired Lazar and Joshua. We're probably not going to move them. Uh, we're not going to scratch them. So it probably has to be Dickinson. But right now, with the forwards they have available... There's a very, very clear path to him being in the lineup. And yeah, I, I agree that I think that's going to be the fourth line we see. So in which case, this sort of goes and speaks to a lesson, a lesson hard earned by, or hard learned by many NHL players over the over the years. But, you know, Phil DiGiuseppe for a second straight training camp comes in. Plays really well. Plays really well. And for reasons completely outside of performance during camp and preseason, you know, seems likely to be on the outside looking in uh, of the opening night lineup it's it's a cruel it's a tough game it's a man. cruel game man. it's a tough tough game brutal uh Gemma carson smith is going to join us in a few minutes i did want to read this one we'll get back into some of your texts about what matters what doesn't matter from preseason how concerned are you are, are you this one from north creek dan says preseason game results don't matter but the process of how you get to those results is a litmus test as to how a team may start the season we all know that the start is important uh, and when that is challenged, concern is raised. And I do think that gets at the heart of it for a lot of fans who are very, very concerned right now is this is not a team that's earned the benefit of the doubt at all, right? This is not a perennial playoff team where, ah, you know, sometimes they start slow out of the gate, but they always figure it out and they're always there uh, when when Game 82 wraps up. This is a team that has a lot to prove that made a lot of noise about how they're aware that they have a lot to prove and that they intend to prove it right out of the gate this year. And I think that context is really important uh, for understanding why so many fans are looking at these preseason games and and getting, well, I was going to say a little concerned, but probably more than a little concerned in a lot of cases. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Um, we're going to take a quick break, but I did want to mention this before we go, Drancer. You know, a couple weeks ago, I was teasing that we have an exciting announcement about the show coming, and then I, I stopped doing that, but I was reminded, and I, I can confirm, for real, tomorrow, there is actually an exciting announcement about the show coming. For real this time. I mean it. So I'm very, very excited for that. We'll have more details to share when we were on the air tomorrow. But up next, thrilling. Yes, it's very exciting. Uh, Gemma Carsten-Smith from the Canadian Press will join us. It is Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drantz here with you. Another uh, extended edition of the show on until noon today. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Gemma Karsten-Smith from the Canadian Press will join us momentarily here on the show. Should mention, you know, for all the talk of the Canucks uh, losing all these preseason games, they've got a chance to get a win. They're in Edmonton tonight. Uh, now, having said that, looking at the lineup that Edmonton is going to field, which I've seen some uh, some Oilers beat writers post on Twitter, you've got McDavid, you've got Dreisaitl, uh Ryan Nugent-Hopkins, Darnell Nurse, Evander Kane, among other regulars uh, in, in the uh, Oilers lineup tonight, and I'm not exactly sure what the Canucks are going to send. I know the, the group who will be going to Edmonton is going to skate at UBC pretty much any minute here, but uh, I would not anticipate it uh, as it typically is for road 
preseason games being a, a star-studded lineup for the Canucks. More talk about the game tonight a little bit later on the show, but right now it is our pleasure to be joined by our pal Gemma Karsten-Smith from the Canadian Press. Gemma, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you guys? Uh, we're doing very well. We're doing, I guess, better than uh, the Canucks are doing right right now because, you know, Gemma, I'm not sure I've ever seen this much kind of public anxiety from a team, not just from fans, but from a team itself, the coach uh, and management about preseason results so far. It's pretty striking, isn't it? It really, really is. It's <laughs> You never want to get too stressed about preseason hockey because it's preseason hockey, but when the coach seems stressed about preseason hockey, it's hard not to as someone who follows the team. Why do you think it is that not just the coach, but we've also heard from Jim Rutherford uh, himself, uh, you know, through the media, who is also very concerned about some of the things he's seeing in the preseason? Is it is it as simple as, you know, they are counting on a hot start and they're not seeing it so far? Why do you think the team itself is, has been so concerned so far? I honestly think they just didn't see this coming. They, they expected things to be so much different uh, this season. And I'm not entirely sure why, because uh, they didn't make a whole ton of changes. But they expected to, to just pick up at where last season left off. And they did have that amazing run to end last season. But you have to remember, there were four months in between. And there have been some injuries. I mean, missing Brock Besser is terrible. Missing Mikheyev is not ideal. Um, you can't expect things to just pop right off where um, you were pushing for a playoff spot. That's not how it works, especially when you are mixing up lineups, trying to get looks at guys who are new to the team or are pushing for a lineup spot. It, but I don't think anyone um, uh, anticipated it going this poorly. It's, it's a bit of a surprise to all involved. Gemma, what's your take on the simple question of does preseason matter? No. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Simple question to, demands a simple answer at times. Um, were you surprised on Thursday? Always like to get your your takes on you know some of the stuff we hear as media post game after practice. Were you surprised by Bruce Boudreaux's tone on Thursday? And can you remember seeing him as downtrodden as he was following the loss uh, to Seattle? at home on Thursday night? No, I thought that the, that was the most, um, I don't want to say pessimistic, but the most downtrodden is a good way to put it, Drancer. Uh, that was not the Bruce Boudreau who, who comes out smiling and, and kind of joking with us all. That was a Bruce who is afraid for his job, honestly. He knows that he's right on that bubble, and if this team gets off to a poor start, he's, he's not going to make it to Christmas. He knows that. We all know it. And he's nervous seeing um, that kind of performance. Watching them give up a 3-1 lead in the third was to, to an, a Seattle team that is that, – that roster was a lot of AHL talent. Mm. Um, so it's not just what they did, it's how they did it. And I think that would be a concern to anybody. But to a coach who's, who knows he's sitting on the bubble, that's a big concern. So why why do you think what, what, like why do you think let's unpack that a little bit why do you think he would look at a preseason performance which we all agree doesn't really matter that much and sort of extrapolate it to you know sort of be a, a potential harbinger uh, of some insecurity to come for him uh, is it just about his contract status I think that's a great question I think from my perspective 
I think he knows that this is what he has to work with. Yes, this is a larger pool of players than he'll have available, and he can he can pick the top talents and, and the ones that work best together and all of those things. But this is also what he works, has to work with in terms of the issues. And if he's seeing those issues now, he's, he's seeing that they haven't been addressed over the offseason, that the same things that were the, the lack of back-checking, the, the uh, just simply being pushed off the puck in, in, in your own zone, that kind of thing, it's still happening. This was a team that was supposed to be tougher to play against. How many times have we heard that um, through training camp and even at the, at, over um, the offseason? This is a team that was supposed to be tougher to play against. Did not look like that in either game against Seattle. And I think we saw Luke Shen say that post-game Saturday, that they were too soft, they weren't poised enough with the puck. And we saw Bruce say that they're going to get better, but it's just not happening as quickly as they'd like. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think they'd like it to happen right now. And uh it's, it's a little bit scary that it's not for, for Bruce. And uh, Gemma, one thing that has really fascinated me over the last, I don't know, since last season ended, and, we, and we've heard those first comments about the need to play from, with more structure uh, from, uh, from Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin, there's been this kind of, you know, indirect debate almost in public comments between Bruce Boudreaux and Jim Rutherford, where, you know, Boudreaux has talked about, well, we just need to execute more, right? And it's almost, you can almost, if you're reading between the lines, and maybe I'm doing that a little bit too much, but it almost strikes me as, you know, Boudreaux is saying, yeah, the players just need to execute, and management is saying, uh, well, no, you need to play a different system. And I thought even after the game on Saturday, he said, you know, we were really having trouble moving the puck, and it's not simple, but it's something we work on every day in practice, and we need to do it better. And it felt a little bit like Bruce Boudreaux kind of once again saying it's not the system it's it's maybe the personnel that we have on the blue line that's preventing us from doing that kind of feels like yes he's talking about personnel and also like well give me some more time man um like this is what I've got to work with let me figure it out uh that's how it feels from my perspective but I I do think that Bruce again he this is what he has to work with the blue line has not changed Moving Quinn Hughes to the right side doesn't solve a problem. It just moves a problem. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I think that there are there, – there's definitely been this indirect debate uh, between Rutherford and Boudreaux, um, and I think that speaks volumes to, uh, to Bruce's need to figure things out and figure them out real quick. Uh, in conversation with Gemma Carson-Smith, covers the Canucks for the Canadian press. And, you know, as much as we all agree that preseason results don't matter, Drance and I were talking in the first segment, there's still things you can learn and either, you know, in a positive sense, maybe with Andre Kuzmenko, be excited about, or in a negative sense, uh, have legitimate concerns based on what we're seeing. From that perspective, is the Canucks is what we saw on Saturday in the Canucks' inability to move the puck from the back end, obviously with Quinn Hughes out of the lineup, is that kind of the biggest red flag of what we've seen in the preseason for you so far? Absolutely. And we knew coming in that the defense was going to be a problem, right? Like, we, we've talked about it ad nauseum. We've talked about how they didn't change anything and blah, blah, blah. But to just see it in action... It's just like, yes, this, this is what I'm talking about. This turnover right here, like, come on, people. Um, so, yeah, I would agree that that is, is a huge problem. And I think we're going to see it again tonight against the Oilers. Like, like you, were say, you guys were saying um, at, before I came on, the Oilers are icing an NHL-level lineup tonight. McDavid's going to be in. Kane's going to be in. Uh, Drysaddle's going to be in. And who, are, who on the Connects blue line is going to be there? It looks like the Kaiser and Burroughs. 
I, I'm not convinced either of them is going to make the starting night NHL lineup for the Canucks. So it's, it's, I, don't, I think things are going to get uglier before they get prettier. Do you read anything into the Canucks not really putting their best foot forward? This is their first opponent in the regular season, so there may be you know, uh, some extra tactical benefit towards sending a, a different type of lineup. But what, what do you read into the Canucks sending what clearly looks to be an overmatched group to Edmonton this evening? I don't, I honestly don't read anything into it. Um, they played these guys again in Abbotsford on Wednesday. Yay, we're all going to Abbotsford. Um, but <laughs> I think we'll see a much, a much different lineup on Wednesday than we see tonight. I think this is that typical preseason fun thing that the NHL loves to do of here, we're going to send a, a bunch of guys that, yeah, we want to get looked at, but eh, and uh, you can match them up against your, your best whoever. Um, it's, uh, it'll be, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised to see things get ugly tonight. Well, do you expect the Oilers then to return the favor? Is this a gentleman's agreement? We both get to win one at home? Yeah, well, I, I mean, they can return the favor, but it doesn't mean they'll win one at home. Uh, <laughs> I mean, look at the two home games the Canucks have played so far. Right. It's, um, if I have to write another overtime preseason game seriously in this week, I will not be a happy camper. So, <laughs> so <laughs> Gemma, other than, you know, hoping the games don't go to overtime and obviously the kind of the, you know, off ice and, and coaching and the, all the kind of drama and concern that's happening, just in terms of on ice, roster battles, all of that, what are what are you really watching closely uh, for the final pre- three preseason games this week? I think there are definitely still games up for grabs, especially with um, Besser and Mikheyev. Um, well, Besser out for the first, few games of the season, and McKay questionable for the first few games of the season. Um, I'm really interested to see who uh, slots into their lines, those lines um, for the beginning of the year and whether or not they can make enough of an impact to stick. Um, I'm still interested to see what happens uh, in terms of the blue line, whether Tucker Pullman um, is healthy enough to play or if they think he's healthy enough to play, whether uh, Danny DeKaiser uh, does actually get signed. I honestly have no idea at this point. Um, yeah, I, I've been really intrigued by uh, Dakota Joshua's play, though I did think what Bruce had to say about him on Saturday night was um, the definition of damning yes. the same praise. He wasn't noticeably he, bad, I believe. Was the I know, exact quote. I know. Like, yeah. <laughs> is that not the definition of yes. damning the same praise? But um, I thought he, I think he's been what they've asked him to be. He's been mm. physical. He's been a, a real presence out there. So I'm intrigued to see where he slots in if he if he can crack this lineup. Um, that's kind of what I'm watching for the last uh, few games going forward here. Gemma, that was great. We really enjoyed it. We'll we'll chat again soon. Thanks, guys. That Have was noticeably day. great, Gemma. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. No faint praise. No faint praise here, Gemma. That was fantastic. Have a good one, guys. Bye. Yeah, you too. That is Gemma Carson-Smith, who covers the Canucks for the Canadian press. Uh, yeah, the Dakota Joshua quote was incredible. Well, not noticeably bad would, would make him a standout, considering how Saturday There were, there were some noticeably yeah. bad players on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, hey, look, it, let's unpack the lineup a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. so here, here, we'll go through it. Batch, uh, our guy, is out of practice at UBC. So this is the group 
that the Canucks are going to send to Edmonton to play McDavid and Dreisaitl, uh, et cetera, et cetera. These guys have won first prize, yes. and they get a trip to Edmonton. Yeah. Yeah. Second prize, by the way, was two trips. <laughs> uh, so it is on the top line. Pod Colson, Sheldon Dries, and Connor Garland. Tristan Nielsen, Niels Amon, Niels Hoaglander. Dickinson, Lazar, and Klimovich. And then on the fourth line, Phil DiGiuseppe, John Stevens, and Will Lockwood uh, on the blue line. Christian Willannon and Kyle Burrows as the top pair. Danny DeKaiser and Noah Juleson. And Guillaume Brisebois and Brady Keeper making the trip, plus Colin Delia and Archer's Seeloff. So a very Abbotsford-heavy lineup going, including, you know, the Canucks still have a ton of players uh, in camp, right? They, I know they made three more cuts. They made very small reductions. Yeah. With the, and, and I would expect some more significant ones to come tomorrow. Yeah, so there's definitely some guys that you might have thought weren't around anymore because they haven't featured in preseason games yet, and like or for a while anyways, like John Stevens and Guillaume Brisebois, uh, even Klimovich, you know, just, oh yeah, he's still uh, in, in the main camp because I know the Abbotsford camp hasn't opened yet, so yeah. that's what's well, going on and there. I wouldn't be shocked if they keep a couple of their Abbotsford-bound guys to play, like a guy like a Chase Waters. You know, doesn't it make sense to give him a game with some Canucks players in front of the Abbotsford crowd? Like, doesn't that make sure, some sense? Sure, sure. I could see there being an inclusion like that or two uh, for Wednesday's game, but I still expect the Canucks to make uh, a you know a relatively sizable reduction tomorrow, and then and then probably uh, thereafter uh, some of the some of the guys who are kept around for Wednesday, and and I would expect we'll see like pretty close to a dress rehearsal lineup for that final Friday home game at Rogers Arena. Uh, to close the preseason, there's some interesting things to unpack here, and I love the like language, the unspoken language of lineup decisions, mm-hmm. especially at this time of year, is one of my like, you know, one of my passions, along with graphic design. So, as I look through this, there's a few things that really stand out to me that I think are worth unpacking. Danny DeKaiser, to this point in training camp, has been a guy who was given a lot of opportunity. Right. I commented when they didn't send him to Calgary that, you know, one of the utility, one of the things, one of the things that a PTO veteran has in terms of their utility is that they can go on the road for one of those preseason games where you're sending a punt lineup and help you meet the veteran minimum. And yet Danny DeKaiser at training camp and for the first week of preseason tended to play in a top four role. Right. Got real looks for this team all of a sudden tonight on a pair with Noah Juleson. Right. Danny DeKaiser's taking the veteran minimum box, right? That, to me, speaks volumes about where he's at in the pecking order, as does the fact that he has not really been a fixture on Vancouver's sort of top penalty-killing units uh, over the course of main group practices last week. The bar that a veteran has to leap over when they're on a PTO, if they're going to earn a contract, is, is high, right? Like, you have to be better. You have to dislodge people from that position, I think it's fair to say that DeKaiser probably hasn't done that yet. He still has a chance. He still mm-hmm. has an opportunity to do it. Tonight would be a great chance to show that you can help lock down some really good players. But, you know, I think this speaks volumes. The fact that he's there is one that I read into. Well, and also, you know, he's not on a pair with the guy who's closer to the the NHL in Kyle Burrows, right? Not that, yep. you know, no, Jilson played NHL and games last Willanin year, but he's obviously fine. farther down the depth chart. Yeah. I thought Willannon played pretty well in Seattle, to be honest. I, I think he looks like a very credible kind of injury call-up, right? A guy that you can plug in and, and expect to play games. And for DeKaiser, you know, as you said, he has not, for me, he hasn't really come close to meeting the bar that you laid out, the, out there, but 
he does still have a chance because the Canucks blue line is so obviously in flux and they're still so obviously searching for how can we fix this? How can we make it better? What possible options do we have? And I think as long as that's the case, DeKaiser is going to uh, to keep getting these opportunities. So here's another one. Danila Klimovich plays with Lazar and Dickinson. We talked about Lazar and Dickinson being a, a couple of guys we looked at as a potential pair to open the season. Phil DiGiuseppe, not on yeah. their wing. Right? I mean, it, how easy would it be to line up that line, DiGiuseppe, Dickinson, Lazar, and take a look at something we could think of as a prospective fourth line for this team that they haven't done that, I think illustrates one of the points we talked about in the first segment that, you know, the hill might just be a little bit too steep for DiGiuseppe to climb to open the season. He'll still get a chance. He's still going to be up. He's probably going to be the first forward call up for this team leaving camp. But. I do think that there's something you can read into in that particular alignment. Yeah, well, and even I look at it, you know, the second line, quote-unquote second line, obviously, with a lineup like this, take all of that with a grain of salt, but it's it's Tristan Nielsen uh, with Niels Amon and Niels Hoaglander. And, you know, Phil DiGiuseppe, because as a guy who, who has some speed and has some skill, if you ever were in a position where you needed someone to be a, a kind of middle six call-up, I think he would work there as well. And it would be really easy to have him with uh, Oman and Hoaglander instead of Tristan Nielsen and kind of get, okay, offensively oriented line for tonight. Niels Hoaglander has some skill. You can play with him. I think that would have been an easy place to put him as well. Two, two, two things you could read into with that line if you were so inclined. One that I find convincing, one that I don't. The thing that I find convincing would be this is a reward for Tristan Nielsen, who has crushed it throughout camp. Uh, get Give him a, a shot with, you know, NHL caliber linemate in Niels Hoaglander, plus a guy who has pushed pretty hard to make this team and doesn't look far away in Niels Oman. Um, you know, I wouldn't be shocked, again, if there's negotiations that, that occur between Nielsen and uh, the Canucks over the course of this week uh, prior to the opening of AHL training camp uh, later this week in Port Coquitlam. Uh, that's open to the public, by the way. You can find details online if you would like to attend but yeah that's sort of the part that I read into it that I find compelling here's the part that I read into it that I probably or that you could read into it if you were so inclined that I don't necessarily find compelling is that a prospective Abbotsford first line right I don't think so yeah I don't think so but it bears it bears asking it bears sort of wondering about considering how Neil Zaman has performed um, and considering, I, I think you can look at it as maybe getting Nielsen and Oman some time together. But I wouldn't read too much into Hoaglander's eh, placement there. Okay, not with the Besser I, and McKay. I, I told you, I told you it wasn't convincing yeah. to me. I just said it was yeah, something yeah, yeah, that yeah. needed to be brought. I up. can see, hey, okay, Nielsen, maybe you know, playing with Niels Oman in Abbotsford. I can see that absolutely. But um, you know, although it is interesting because yeah, you could throw Klimovich on that line too. Then you'd have three uh, three Abbotsford guys playing totally. together, right? And uh, instead, he's on that. They've elected with that not fourth to do line it. pair with Dickinson and Lazar. Last thing before we go to break, I want to talk about the goalies. Let's do it. Thatcher Demko's played a lot. Thatcher Demko has played a lot, right? He's played the first two periods of what two games plus an additional full game, right? So he's played 140 minutes, uh, not counting overtime, in the preseason to this point, right? That's a lot. Almost no other goalies have played, <laughs> right? Like, uh, I think Silovs. Delia and Martin are all at 40 minutes played, two periods each. And Mike DiPietro's at 20 minutes and is not going tonight, which speaks volumes too. So I think just from usage, just from goalie usage, I think there's a lot that we can extrapolate in terms of exactly where the, the Canucks stand in terms of their goalies. I think Spencer Martin's going to back up. Yes. Uh, for, for all the sort of, for the door that Boudreaux left open, 
to having competition at camp to challenge Spencer Martin for that backup role, you know, he hasn't taken a long enough look at other goaltenders. In my view, the organization hasn't taken a long enough look at the other options to really have that battle in full. Now, that's going to begin to change tonight. Presumably, it begins to change as well on Wednesday, right? When when we may see Spencer Martin get a, get a look. But I was thinking about it. I was looking at this goalie usage. I was considering the fact that the Canucks have used three goalies in, in main camp practices uh, two of the three days last week. And I thought to myself, you know, for all that the club might say that they want to have a competition and, and push Spencer Martin to earn that backup job, they just haven't really taken a long enough look at any of these guys. I guess that process begins tonight. Maybe it's a Monday, Wednesday look at Delia and, and Martin. But even then, are you really going to base a decision like that off of one game? You know, like, no, I, I, I mean, really struggle. I mean, like not exactly if, like they're giving Delia well, a good shot Well, that's the thing. Here. It's like, oh, he got lit up. It's like, well, yeah, you put an AHL lineup against McDavid and Dreisaitl. Yeah, yeah. the goalie got lit up. What are you going to – you're going to hold that against him? <laughs> oh, right. yeah, no, no. Bad so, performance. So I'm sort of not buying the goalie battle. Uh, for all that I talked about it and, and interpreted the three goalies and, and Boudreaux's commentary, as I looked at usage yesterday, I thought, you know, I just don't think they've actually given anyone long enough leash uh, to win that battle. Silovs, however, going for this preseason game. Maybe he plays a period. Uh, presumably, Boudreaux will address his plans after the morning skate today. Um, so the fact that Silovs has played the same number of minutes as Delia and and Martin, and has factored in to main group practices, where Di Pietro's played one period of action, seventeen minutes, in fact. Um, only he's only faced four shots in preseason action, right? and has not factored into main camp at any point. We know that the club and DiPietro's camp have been working collaboratively to try and find a change of scenery trade. We know that. Um, we know that this is one of those situations to monitor because it needs to be resolved one way or the other. Feels like, based on Silov sort of really grabbing the horns at training camp and impressing the way he has, that you know we, 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 should, we have a pretty good sense now, right? Demko, Martin, Delia yeah. and Delia is it Delia? I Delia, Delia, Delia yeah. and uh, and Shylovs uh, down in Abbotsford, and then Di Pietro would one would assume is is ECHL bound mm-hmm. if the club cannot facilitate a trade. And last thing, the next few days uh, through Canadian Thanksgiving are really like sort of fruitful ground to try and make that trade. You saw Jonas Johansson get claimed by the Arizona Coyotes just the other day. Goalies are one of the one of the positions that gets gets claimed the most frequently at this time of year, right? As guys get sent down, teams put in their claims if they think the goalie waived is an upgrade over the goalie they have. Um, so a lot of teams end up sort of without their their planned third goalie, right? Those are the teams that may circle back and want to give Mike DiPietro a goalie who's waiver exempt. A look that could create an opportunity for the Canucks to finally solve this issue prior to the season and prior to putting um, Di Pietro, a very promising goalie prospect. Still, he's still very young. He's still a very promising player uh, in the ECHL, which would not help anybody considering, you know, his skill level and where this organization is at. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We'll read some more of your text. I want to unpack uh, some of what our guest, uh, Gemma Carson-Smith, had to say as well. We'll continue to look forward to the game tonight, the rest of the preseason for the Canucks as well. On the other side, that's coming up next. It's Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to... Canucks Hour, part two for today, the second Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, 
and Canucks insider Thomas Trance here with you uh, on a Canucks game day. They'll be in Edmonton. Puck drop at 6 o'clock. Pre-game coverage begins here on 6.50 at 5.30. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Uh, and we are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintec.net. Uh, we will uh, we'll see if we can get some Bruce Boudreaux audio in here. The Canucks, the, the group that are going to be flying to Edmonton for the game today, they're skating at UBC right now. Uh, but we anticipate that uh, Boudreaux will speak to the media uh, relatively soon here. So we'll try to get that turned around and and he- let you hear it before the end of the show. Uh, I did want to read this text. It's from Jay in Calgary, and it ties into uh, something that Gemma uh, brought up, uh, Gemma Carson-Smith, when she was on with us a little bit earlier. Jay says, hey, guys, I haven't heard a lot about this. Considering the commitment made to this roster, what happens if they suck this year? <laughs> Is JT even tradable? Now that he's under contract until 37. And, you know, I think when we started doing the show again uh, a few weeks ago, Drancer, we kind of began by talking about, yeah, what are the actual stakes for this team? What happens if things do go off the rails and you start to just go down the list of potential outcomes and there's not a ton that makes sense, given, as Jay says, how committed they are to this roster, how difficult it is to unravel. And I think that's probably a part of the reason why Gemma brought up that, you know, Maybe one of the reasons Bruce Boudreaux is is so concerned is that he sees the writing on the wall a little bit, that if things do go off the rails, he might be the logical fall guy. I want to say really quickly, I think it's far more likely that this team, like, (laughs) okay, I think this is a bubble team, right? Until the end of time. (laughs) But I think this is a bubble team, right? So I strongly expect, firmly expect, like... I was thinking about it the other day. I think the Canucks will like are more overwhelmingly likely to finish. This is not exactly a hot take. The fat part of the bell curve, yeah, right. I would say is above where they finished last season. Not you know ninety two point five, right? Yeah. Which is by the way where the Vegas has set their over under. I think they're far more likely to exceed that than even money personally. But it's somewhere between there and the one hundred six point pace that they played with Boudreaux, right? It's like. <laughs> The, the spicy takes you can only get them. The spicy <laughs> takes. I'm going to give it a 14 point range <laughs> in the low 90s to the low hundreds, right? Like that's that sort of. Now I think it's more likely they that they exceed that than that they're like sub 85 points, right? Like that's that's my view of this team. I see them as as a pure bubble team, and then you know the the degree to which they exceed or or fail to live up to that is going to be determined by injuries and luck and all the usuals. All of that said, right, if it goes, I mean, whether it goes well or goes badly, this team is going to be roughly that on true talent regardless, probably in perpetuity, (laughs) probably in perpetuity, which is sort of what's tough is that if you're always in the middle, it's hard to get ahead, particularly when your cap situation is is mangled and you don't have a ton of prospects or high-end prospects anyway in the system, right? Like that's always been the issue with this team. That was always the issue with, you know, extending JT Miller. Uh, That was always the issue with sort of keeping things relatively conservative over the course of the season. And look, I think the assumption was from new management that this is a frustrated market that couldn't tolerate a rebuild. And my view has always been that this market would love to see a rebuild done right. Um, It's not about whether this team wins or loses that this market's impatient with. This market's impatient with the lack of a plan. 
Like that's where the source of impatience sort of stems from in my view. Uh, but they've sort of taken a route where they've doubled down on this group. If it doesn't work, they're locked in. Yeah. Like it's really hard. To, they're locked in. If it doesn't work, that's cataclysmic. I think it will. I think I have uh, enough faith in Bruce Boudreaux. I have enough faith in Pedersen and Quinn Hughes. I have enough faith in Thatcher Demko. I think it's going to be fine in that they're going to be fine. What what I don't think is fine is the limited routes to improve this team further, right? That's where I think this team's going to be in trouble in the years to come. And that's why it is kind of hard for me to wrap my head around the idea of, you know, Bruce Boudreaux being done by Christmas, because it's not like it's going to be his fault if the team struggles, right? You know, it's not, we know Bruce Boudreaux wins a ton of games in the regular season, right? So maybe if there's this dream candidate out there that you think you can bring in and you make the change for those reasons, but it does just, if that happened, and there's a lot of things that have to go in one direction for that actually to happen, but if it did happen and Bruce Boudreaux was out before Christmas, it would really just feel like the kind of default option, not something that would actually address the team's deficiencies and the team's future needs, but just, well, we can't do anything else. It would be the classic, you can't fire the players, uh, so I guess we'll fire the coach type uh, of move. If this, if this season follows the same script as last year, I mean, I don't even know what you do. Like I honestly don't. I I think you're I think you're stuck in really having to consider just about every option to reset the decks. That said, I think it's unlikely. Yeah. I think this is a bubble team, and I think we'll see them perform like a bubble team. And the question is, is is that good enough? For me, it's not. But you know, it could be fun. Like hopefully, hopefully at the very least, right? Having locked themselves into a team that I think is going to have an awfully difficult time, even winning a division. Like forget competing for the Stanley Cup, winning the division in Pedersen and Hughes' primes, right? I think that's going to be a very tall hill to climb for this club in the next three, four years based on how they're positioned cap-wise and how the other teams in their division are are positioned, particularly Anaheim and L.A., who uh, are poised to improve rapidly very quickly here. All of that said, all of that said, you know, I'm hopeful, at least, that we're going to see some fun hockey. Like, I'm hopeful that we're at least going to see some fun hockey. And I think we should. Like, this team should be good enough for us to have some fun watching it play for a few years, even if I don't see a realistic path toward them, you know, rewarding long-suffering Canucks fans with with a, with a Stanley Cup in the next few years without, you know, absolutely nailing the draft um, and, and potentially finding some home run trades to reset the books and rebuild the blue line over the course of the next two, three years, which, you know, I think is basically management's plan here uh as we continue to dive into the text box and kind of debate the question does the preseason matter what matters specifically how much does it matter how concerned of you all of that and you can join the conversation 650 650 in the dunbar lumber text line this one came in early and we've we've alluded to this point but i think it is an important point it's unsigned text that says it matters because all the leadership is ticked off about how the team played uh but the texture also goes on to say however vets in every sport don't put in an honest effort in in the preseason they try to use it to get ready and work on their game JT Miller and Tanner Pearson are a good example but I think the first part of that text right which is you know it would be easy to paint the the current discourse around the Canucks as you know, oh you know there are those 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 wacky Canucks fans again getting pulling their hair out about the preseason but I do think a large part of it is responding to the signals you're getting from the team itself public, from every level of the team public commentary from the team itself 100% I mean I went there after the preseason split squad game loss right I came in and I said I don't think this is a big deal, but they do. I'm told that I'm told it is. And then Bruce Boudreaux has the commentary that he had after Thursday's game. And then they lose again on Saturday with a, with a pretty close to NHL caliber lineup, albeit missing Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson and, and the injured guys. 
Um, yeah, I mean, that does it's sort a, of... It's a huge part of why people are reacting the way they are, right? If if the messaging from Boudreaux was... Because he still has so much weight and pull with fans, oh, right? Oh, yeah. And understandably so. If the messaging, Wildly popular. If the messaging from Boudreaux was different was, I'm not worried, I don't like it, but we just got a few things to clean up, but this doesn't really concern me, I think you'd be seeing a very, very different response. People sure. would be saying, okay, well, that's fine then. He's seeing enough in practice. He's seeing enough when they're skating. I'm not really concerned about it, right? Like That would be a very, very different context than... Boy, that was disappointing. Boy, I was really frustrated with how we played. That's really concerning to me, right? That, that stuff matters. And it, 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 as you start to kind of try to glean what's going on behind the scenes, that stuff really matters. Um, speaking of uh, you know how the team is reacting to all of this, JT Miller, he was part of the group that skated earlier this morning. He's not going for the game in Edmonton, so he's already had a chance to speak to the media. And he talked about a lot of these same issues and things that we're debating on the show today. Here's what JT Miller had to say today after practice. You know, they're not, not pretty typically. You know, a lot of guys are coming back and trying to get their legs and their, their skills and stuff back underneath them. Uh, it's a good time to work on your timing and come together as a team, basically, and uh, try to get your legs under you as much as you can. Um, you know, some nights are prettier than others, but, you know, we're trying to get better every day here. Uh, trying to have a good practice today and uh, a little rest tomorrow, I think, and then, you know, come back at it Wednesday. When do you start dialing it in, really dialing in as a line as yourself as a team in the preseason? Well, you try to do it as soon as possible, right? I think the sooner you do that, you have a leg up on everybody. You know, there's so many lines and players in the league that are getting better and, you know, improving and, you know, coming together and, uh, like, um, you know, dialing in, as you said. So, uh, you know, especially right now. Now it's kind of getting into crunch time. Uh, there's going to be less people around soon and, you know, going to look more like our full team sooner than later. So it's, you know, it's time to, you know, we really start bringing it here. How difficult is it when you still have a split squad as many bodies as you have? Well... I mean, the rest is nice with the extra bodies, I guess. But, you know, you get to a point where, you know, guys are fighting for jobs and guys are trying to show what they can do. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're definitely ready to get our team together and come together and really have, uh, you know, like you said, it's time to be dialed in. You know, we should be by now. And it's definitely time that we, uh, you know, from here moving forward, especially, um, you know, have our stuff together on, on the ice. How challenging is it to manufacture compete this time of year? I mean, you want to, but... As you just said, it is it is a methodical process to get to the opener. How how difficult can it be to, to manufacture the kind of compete level you want even in preseason games? Well, I mean, compete shouldn't uh, that shouldn't take time to figure out. I mean, uh, maybe like some rust on wall work or yeah. skill play or you know your timing, like I said. But I mean, compete should be there 100 percent of the time. That should be in your DNA as a team and, and a, a standard that we hold on on ourselves. So. Uh, um, Sometimes, like I said, it's a lot of timing, and that might be a weird way of looking at it, but you just when to go hard and when to be patient, and it's, you know, you feel a little lost sometimes, but it takes time. Uh, um, it'll come back. Yeah, with every game we play and every practice we have, we're just going to get more comfortable. Cultures get, culture gets tossed around like a hot balloon, JT. People talk about just trying to establish a culture, trying to establish a culture, but is it more difficult at this time of year with, with what you just described in the preseason and everybody's trying to find their way? Yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, it's not as fluent and smooth as it is in the during the season by any means. There's a lot of bodies around like we just talked about, so no excuse. I mean, we're trying to uh, establish a standard standard for the team. It doesn't matter if you're on the team or in the minors or whatever. Um, you know, it should be a hard place to play, and we understand that. And, you know, that should be the message going around to guys on our team and, you know, guys that are aspiring to be on the team or working in the minors. You've been around long enough, and you've seen some of the new additions. What, what, do, you, what do you make of what you guys have on paper once everybody's healthy, JT? It's an attractive lineup on paper. It's been an attractive lineup for years uh, since I've been here. Um, um, it's a matter of doing it and you know raising our compete level and 
raising the standard to expect a lot out of ourselves every game and holding ourselves accountable. So it should be a part of our everyday business here. And, you know, like I said, we've been excited, really excited to, for this year to happen. But at the same time, I think uh, training camp and preseason seems to take forever, that's for sure. But just trying to come together every day and get better every day. It's super cliche, but, you know, it's all we're focused on at the moment. That is Canucks forward JT Miller speaking to the media after they skated, uh, after he skated with the group not going to Edmonton at UBC today. And I would say a pretty measured tone from JT Miller there, right? Like acknowledging the deficits and what the team has done so far, but not pressing the panic alarm no. uh, by any means, nor not, not well, that I'm expecting although, or saying he although, should. Although he did put a period behind them, right? From this point forward, right? Yes. Right? He did sort of like draw an underline and be like, that doesn't matter. But he also threw a gauntlet down and was like, what happens next is going to matter. Well, he said, you know, we, we got to dial in as soon as possible. Which is we just, right. We got to start bringing it here, right? Yeah. Which is what we talked about right off the right off the hop. One of the things we're least concerned about in preseason is JT Miller, right? Because it's the first week of preseason. JT Miller is an established guy. We He's a known quantity. You know, like we don't know exactly which version of JT Miller we get year over year. Sometimes we get high-end top 20 NHL forward JT Miller. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we get, you know, Really good top six quality JT Miller. It's sort of been one season off, one season on uh, the last four years for him. But we know he's going to be good. <laughs> like We know he's going to be one of this team's best players. So, yeah, we're not worried too much about what we see from him in the first week of preseason. Yeah, it's interesting always to, to, to try to, again, read between the lines a little bit, right? And talking about, okay, talking about from Miller there, you know, we're trying to find that compete but it shouldn't be hard to find. There's no excuses, but also it's preseason, so maybe that is a thing. Well, he was talking about the numbers too, right? Yeah. One thing about training camp, for those who haven't worked it for a team, this is the worst month of the year. For like the the month from mid-September to the moment puck drops, not on your season, but on your home opener, because mm-hmm. there's always ceremonial obligations, a ton of extra media interest, a ton of extra giveaways for the equipment staff, Right. From that, from the moment training camp opens until the moment puck drops on your home opener, that's the most stressful month of the year, right? Instead of keeping track of 20 guys, right, every game, you're keeping track of 55, right? You have extra facilities. This club has the added complication of being under renovation, right? That there's renovations going on to their locker room facilities. They're out at UBC. Um, you know, they're not in their normal locker room. Like, it's hard to get in a groove when you don't have a home when you have all these extra people, when you have all these extra responsibilities, like for equipment staff, you know, you're setting up 50 stalls every day, 41 stalls, you know, like it's it's a mess. This is a hard time of year for teams to get in rhythm, right? And and I think that issue is accentuated for Vancouver by the renovations, by the dislocation that that's wrought. And I'm sure by all of the outside distractions of the past week too, right? It all adds up. Like it's all a drop in the bucket that eventually fills if if, yeah. if those drops continue. So we'll sort of see where this goes, but I thought Miller commenting on the numbers was, and, and he did it multiple times. He kept coming back to like the amount of bodies, the amount, like where you're at, you know, wanting to dial in your team, wanting to get, I you know, that to me speaks to a sense of dislocation that is natural at this time of year, but that I think is accentuated for the Canucks relative to other teams. And one thing that's interesting about that is, you know, I was listening to JT Miller, and the first thing that popped into my head was, okay, well, that's all fair, 
but other teams are going through that as well. Now, as you said, there are some extra factors on top of for the Canucks. But because again, that was my kind of first reaction. Well, hold on a second. Uh, the, the Seattle Kraken aren't dealing are, are dealing with a lot of those same issues, but they're working way harder than you guys, right? This is not a you know having lots of bodies in training camp and it being preseason and all that is not unique to the Vancouver Canucks. So why is it affecting uh, them so much more than it is other teams? And do you said as your point, you know there are. Uh, some other factors that are unique to the Canucks. But I also think it comes back to just this is just not a team that has earned the benefit of the doubt, right? And, and you know, with JT Miller saying, we've got to dial it in as soon as possible. We've got to start bringing it here. You know, we've got to have our stuff together from this point forward. They have not shown an ability to flip the switch like I that. love himself censoring himself with stuff. Stuff, I know. That was so very good. good. <laughs> That's so very good. good. That's a savvy vet right it, there. It's, it's so much fun to listen to him talk hockey always, right? And just And just that... That was you could see the you could see the wheels turning as he's like yeah we gotta stuff. have our stuff together <laughs> soon here fabulous just fabulous stuff from Miller yeah it was very good but uh, you know this is not a team and I think Miller is well aware of this right as he said hey yeah the lineups looked good before it was, since I've been here not this good I don't think but it's looked good before this is not a team that has a proven track record of being able to flip the switch, right? And, you know, I think of really good teams, not just in the NHL, but you see this all the time in the NBA, right? Where a team will be kind of be coasting towards the playoffs because they know how good they are. Right. And then it's like, oh, okay, it's the playoffs. We're going to actually be good now, yeah. right? There are there are really good teams that can do that in different sports that can kind of lay low for a little bit, but then they know the stakes are higher. They know what level they have to get to, the, and they just get there. The 20, like the Sedin era Canucks were masters of it, by the way. Masters of it. Yeah. I even think to like an in-game example. Remember when Tampa came here last year and they, and were, they were tired? They, they were, were delayed in tired. Edmonton. They, they had to fly in the day of the game. No, no legs. And they basically played really, really hard for 20 minutes, got the lead, <laughs> and just salted it away. Because yeah. they knew, okay, we have, we have to be at this specific level for 20 minutes. Then we can be at a lower level for 40 minutes and we'll still probably win. They're a veteran team who's won a lot. They know how to do that. The Canucks have not proven that they can do that kind of thing. You have to be successful at business for people to take your business decisions seriously. <laughs> you know, like, if I'm like, oh, you should invest in that. No one takes it seriously. They're like, no, Who are you're you? not successful. But when the Oracle of Omaha does it, people take notes. You know, I, yeah. I mean, it's this, that's... That's what you're talking about, right? The Tampa Bay Lightning are the Warren Buffett of winning in the regular season, and the Vancouver Canucks are Frank Grimes. You know, like, it is what it is. Yeah. No one in Tampa or Boston or, like, whatever perennial successful team you want to name, no one would be worrying about, oh, they got shut out for nothing in preseason. No. Right? Well, I don't think Tampa's won a single preseason game. I don't think Colorado has. And I've had people in my mentions being like, preseason doesn't matter. Look at Colorado and Tampa. And I'm like... That's the company. That's Colorado and Tampa. That's the company you think this team belongs with? You know, like Tampa Bay just made the finals three times in a row. Three times in a row. Do you know how remarkable that is? Like, that's the best team of the last 25 years. You know? Yeah. And Tampa and, and Colorado's run through the playoffs might be the most impressive we've seen since LA in 2012. Right? Like, just like complete, they were a tsunami. They were a wave. They washed over everybody, and they did it with average or below average goaltending throughout. It was remarkable. Predatory. So, yeah. I mean, no one cares that those teams haven't won in the preseason. Come on. Stop it. This team has a little more to prove. And yeah. I thought JT Miller acknowledged that while also drawing a line under what's happened to this point, right? What's happened to this point doesn't matter. We have to get dialed in now. I thought that was a artful way 
of shrugging off the issues and acknowledging them all in one fell swoop. Well done, as usual, by Miller. Yeah, and we've got... Uh... And I don't, I don't really buy into this, but we've got, you know, whenever you hear JT Miller speak, because he is so compelling, you have people texting in, you know, Darren and Chestermere says, hi guys, hearing JT more and more, he sounds more like a captain rather than Bo Horvat. Stop it. Another one from Timbo Slice that says, that guy's going to be the captain of a hockey club. Uh, we also have the dissenting point of view from Rager who says, oh, oh, it's JT Miller providing lip service again, talks a big game about competing and sacrificing, uh, but he's one of the main culprits of checking out. Well, I thought he addressed that too, talking about how it actually is a timing issue in his perspective, right? That really players are looking to get their feet, their hands, their wind up to speed in the preseason. That is true, by the way, 100% true. Um, yeah, so I mean, I thought he even sort of addressed that specifically. Um, look, JT Miller is captain talk. We don't have to have it yet. That We can save that as an off-season topic yes. in the event that the Canucks lose uh, Bo Horvat, but... You know, one thing one thing to note, in my view, is it helps to have, um, you know, a, a captain who's a little bit more restrained in terms of the risks that they take on the ice, you know? Yeah. Um, accountability has to come from the room, but it also has to come from someone who's doing little things on a very consistent basis, like who's doing, uh, you know, JT Miller plays a, ri- a high-risk, high-reward game, and it works for him, and... You know, this isn't criticism of him so much as it's hard to be like, guys, we have to really dial it in when you're the guy who's not always dialed in. Again, Miller has to play the way he has to play to be successful. He's enormously successful. This isn't to second guess that so much as it's to point out a dynamic that results uh, when you have a, a player with that style be the guy who takes the reins. It's easier to be like, well, bud. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you were the guy with the turnover at the flu. Like, stop it. I also just think... First of all, we probably place a little too much emphasis on who's wearing the C, but even if you just sure. look at how the Canucks leadership group lines up publicly, it's not this out-of-the-box idea to have kind of the main guy, the captain, be a little bit calmer, you know, not as as boisterous, and then have like a lieutenant who's a bit more of the fiery type. That's a kind of common leadership structure in a lot of different environments and, in life. And you are ignoring anyone saying that Bo Horvat shouldn't be the captain in this market is ignoring... Bo Horvat's unique suitability to discuss some of the things that come up from time to time in this market in a way that reflects this community, right? Like whether it's been residential schools, right? Whether it was the Don Cherry controversy, like Bo Horvat's comfortable wading into the occasional moments where politics and hockey intersect mm-hmm. and doing it in a way that Vancouverites here in the bubble. In, in the bubble, right. And doing it in a way that Vancouverites here and are like, this guy reflects our views or our values. This is one of the most liberal hockey markets in the world, right? And Bo Horvat's able to speak to it in times of controversy in a way that works. That's unique. Like, there's not a lot of NHL players who could do that, period. So the idea that Bo Horvat shouldn't be the captain in this market, I mean, if he's on this team, he should be, 100%, without question. Uh, a little bit of good news for the Canucks here, uh, reported by our own Brendan Batchelor for a team desperately in need of some good vibes right now. Brock Besser on the ice at UBC after the group that will be going to Edmonton, and Batch says that Besser is both holding a stick and handling the puck. So there you go. Is it a week out from surgery at yep, this point? Good. So good. Good to see him on the ice. Don't read too much into it, but there you go. Some nice little positive vibes. NHL players heal like Wolverine when they want to push to get back, right? (laughs) I thought when I heard three to four weeks after surgery, I was like, oh boy, that seems 
awfully aggressive in terms of a return timeline. Well, you just hear surgery and then three weeks is like, mm. yeah, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. extreme. I mean, I mean, to, to me, hand surgery four to six would be my my baseline expectation. Right. So three to four, I was like, that seems aggressive. That seems aggressive. But but again, hockey players at this time of year um, can't and depending on how their body responds to it. Right. Because it's not just playing through a pain threshold. It's also about actually healing and making sure you're not returning in a situation where the injury can be exacerbated. They, they do amazing things in terms of healing, especially top performers. Right. It's not one size fits all. Every body reacts differently to the injuries that are inevitable in, in a dangerous sport. Um, but yeah, I mean, Besser being on the ice, holding a stick, puck handling a week out. That would suggest to me that the three to four week timeline wasn't as aggressive as, as I first assumed. And uh, and that, you know, hey, this is a guy who's going to push to come back as quickly as possible. No surprise there. Pro athletes, they're built different. Yeah. They're as, right. as J.J. Watt illustrated no, it's, this week. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable how tuned in these guys are. It's honestly, it, you spend enough time around NHL players, you're, I think, I get told I'm negative a lot, but if you hear, listen to my commentary, I, I think you'll find it pretty rare that I'm super critical of players themselves. Mm. I spent enough time watching these guys in practice. I spent enough time around NHL players, period. My, my appreciation for their collective skill level and athleticism is through the roof. These guys are outrageous. Yeah, I always feel like implied in everything we say when I do say, you know, this player is not playing well or something. There's like an unimplied asterisk that is relative to the incredibly high standard that is NHL <laughs> hockey. Oh, oh, well, you know what I mean? Sure. It's for like, sure. I, I, I want to make everyone aware, but I am fully cognizant of how incredibly difficult it is to be like the, the sixth guy on your AHL team. It's like, wow, well, you're a phenom at hockey. The, the Honestly, the, the funniest, the thing that always struck me the most was when I Worked for the Panthers. Do you know I did that? Uh, um, I've I heard it once it before. Twice, yeah. Um, you know, I'd also like contribute to uh, social content for our channels, right? So you're on the bench and you're just like holding your phone and you're filming like guys doing various drills or doing whatever you're doing in warmups. You're never worried about a puck being like poorly controlled and hitting you or like anything like that. You're never worried, not for a second. Th- these guys' level of control is just through the roof. And then you go and do it in the major junior NCAA level. And these are like real NHL prospects, but yeah. they're not all real NHL prospects. And the level of, like, you'd never do that for your beer league team. If your beer league team was just like having, you'd never be like, I have no need to be aware and no any- concern here. It would be totally different. It's just that the <laughs> level of control these guys exert over their environment on the ice, it's, it's honestly mind-bending. Uh, we'll take a quick break here. Hopefully, we'll be able to hear from Bruce Boudreaux as the Canucks prepare to face the Edmonton Oilers tonight in Edmonton. By the way, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Final segment of the show. We'll read more of your texts. Uh, look ahead to the rest of the week for the Canucks as well. It is Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Hour, the second Canucks Hour of the day here. Another supersized extended preseason edition here on Sportsnet 650 with myself, Jamie Dodd, my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drantz. Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Canucks preseason coverage on Sportsnet 650 is brought to you 
by Black and Lee suiting up has never been easier with suits and tuxedos in a modern wide range of colors, styles, and fits. Blackandlee.com. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Continue to get your thoughts coming in. Again, the Canucks will play in Edmonton. Tonight, you'll be able to hear that game right here on Sportsnet 650 with Brendan Batchelor and Randeep Janda. Uh, not a NHL-heavy lineup. Some guys that you expect to be regulars for the Canucks. Uh, Vasily Bud Colson, Connor Garland. We'll see where Niels Hoaglander ends up. But other than that, uh, I should say Jason Dickinson and, uh, and Curtis Lazar as well. Potential opening night starters for the Canucks. But most of that top end of talent, JT Miller, Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, etc., etc., uh, not making the trip to Edmonton tonight, where uh, where that team, the one the Canucks are, fa- are sending, will face an Oilers lineup that includes Connor McDavid, Leon Draisaitl, Zach Hyman, Evander Kane, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, uh, Dylan Nurse, Evan Bouchard, etc., etc., etc. Jack Campbell. So, uh, 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 pretty much an opening night roster almost for the uh, Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, a couple waiver claims in, by the way, including right. the goaltender. We talked about this in the last segment, mm-hmm. so I wanted to bring it up. Magnus Helberg, uh, who was the backup to Philip Grubauer in the game that the Canucks lost on Saturday, has been claimed by the Ottawa Senators. So that's exactly the sort of thing we're talking about, right? Now, Seattle has potentially lost a backup goaltender. Helberg has to be kept on the roster, otherwise Seattle will get first claim to get him back. So, I mean, some wait and see here, but... That's the sort of situation where perhaps a door opens for the Canucks to facilitate the long-awaited move uh, for DiPietro. Um, no one else of interest, really, on waivers. Um, the Calgary Flames. A real tall guy with the, the Flames yeah. The flames claimed. I'm also I'm also a big Kevin Stenland truther. He's on waivers from Winnipeg, but sure. I'm not going to ride too hard for a like uh, low-scoring Winnipeg <laughs> Jets forward again. I learned my lesson I after the Appleton I, thing. Should I step out and you can do like 10 minutes on Kevin Stenland here? No, no but I'm a Stenland truther. I like him. I think he's a good player. All right, fair enough. Yep. Uh, we'll keep an eye to see. Uh, we should be seeing who's going on waivers here pretty quickly. So oh, sorry, that Stenland oh. was on waivers. Oh, Stenland's on waivers yeah. today. Okay, okay. I'd seen the claims, but not the actual yeah, list. Yeah. So uh, we'll keep you updated no, not, not, Nothing nothing of significant interest aside from, I suppose, Ole Olevi would be the one that would most resonate for Canucks fans. On waivers. Today. Yes, sure. Okay. <laughs> it is what Wor- it is. Worth mentioning, but yes, it very, very much is what it is uh, with Ole Olevi. Unfortunately, you can't even... Well, I guess Noah Juleson's still in the organization. So you can still say the Canucks won the trade. But Yuho Lamico is no longer here. Uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, not every trade has to have a winner. Some trades. What? This is Sports Talk Radio, Drancer. S- some trades just kind of are. Every trade has to have a decisive winner. Yeah. An absolutely decisive winner. And on the day they happen. <laughs> no, I mean, come on. There's no. There, Noah Juleson's a nice depth piece, and he'll play in the lineup tonight, and. You know, it is what it is. Uh, six fifty, six fifty again is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can continue to send uh, your texts in. We might have some audio to play uh, from Bo Horvat here momentarily. We heard from JT Miller in the previous second. Uh, we'll get you the thoughts. But we'll only play it if you all agree not to text in anything about whether or not he should be captain. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is like we're doing. Um, <laughs> this is a like a talent show almost, right? It's like okay, we'll hear from this guy. <laughs> <laughs> then we'll hear from Bo, and you decide which one should be captain based on these media availabilities Absolute, today. Absolutely not. On October 3rd. That's what we're going to do here. 
650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Before we hear Bo, we're going to talk a little bit more later uh, as the show wraps up here about what we're watching for, what we're expecting to see from the Canucks uh, this week with their final three preseason games on the schedule. You can get your thoughts in about what you want to see. How concerned are you? What do you need to see to be less concerned? Again, 650-650. But here is Bo Horvat speaking after practice today. No, you have to put a little bit into it, obviously. Um, you know, we can definitely be a lot better uh, as a group. Um, you know, but it is, it is preseason. You know, there's still uh, you know cobwebs to get out and, and little things that you have to work on and adjust um, to get ready for the season. So now we're just uh, we just got to start gearing up from here on out. You've been at this for a while now. How do you manage cranking up the engine to getting it? Yeah. Up the, up the oh, I think it, obviously it starts with practice habits. It starts with um, you know working hard in practice and then it's just going to translate into the game um you know, obviously uh, there's definitely things that uh that have to get cleaned up in our game um but at the same time that's what preseason's for that's what uh, like you it's just getting them geared up for the the regular season and be ready for puck drop on uh wednesday in edmonton how disturbing is it when maybe the compete level is in there on certain nights bow even though it's a preseason um yeah, no, I think that, again, that's where we hold each other accountable and we have to demand more from each other. And, you know, that's something that you can always control is how hard you compete. And um, right now I think we can we can up that ante up a, a definitely a, a whole lot going into uh, these last three games. From your experience, how much growth happens through the preseason? Like how much different do you feel from game one to the last game of the preseason as you're going yeah. through the year? Yeah, for a lot of us, we haven't played hockey in... You know, games and for, I don't know, obviously all summer. So um, it's, it, sometimes it takes a little bit, but, you know, these the last two, three games uh, is when you really start amping it up and you should be feeling ready to go by game one. Is it more difficult as a captain? I mean, you're, you're trying to establish the culture, but you've got guys who are veterans are kind of different agendas. They, they know their bodies, but you've also got young guys. Is it more of a challenge to um, establish it now? No, I mean, I think, I think it all, all starts with me. Uh, I think, obviously... You know my work ethic and, and my habits in practice and my uh, my habits in games uh, in the preseason. Obviously, you know there's guys that uh, notice that kind of stuff, and and I have to be at the top of my game whenever I play, and um, that's something I'm going to definitely do here at the last couple of games. Would you like to hopefully see? I mean, aside from injuries, kind of have your representative lineup intact maybe the last two preseason. Yeah, I mean, I think that's usually kind of what's happened in the past. Um, you know, these those final spots and those those guys that. You know, or on the uh, you know on the line there, I think um, you know to, to really prove themselves the last couple of games and um, and kind of see what we look like with our full lineup. And so, I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, I think we got a, a lot of good prospects, a lot of good hockey players on our team, and I'm looking forward to seeing our group together. I couldn't tell if that was Henry trying Yeah, yeah, that was. Like conversation. Um, how invaluable has it been to have both him and Danny on the ice? Watch David escape. As Mankel comes to the bench, Hank's got the board out, he's showing the little things. How invaluable have they been this camp, and what have you seen from them? Yeah, they've been great. Um, you know, obviously anything that you want to talk to them hockey-wise, they're two of the best to, to ever do it. And um, It's nice to have that kind of, you know, right there at, uh, you know, whenever you need them. So they've been great for everybody. They've been great for myself. Um, for the most part, it's just catching up on family stuff and, and uh, obviously I haven't seen them all summer so um, but I mean you know for the most part they've been they've been awesome hockey wise to, to go and chat with and any questions that you have or anything that they see to, to get their input is always it's always nice to have is it little things that you know they, that they can pick up that they pass on the guys oh god yeah I mean 
know, they're, they're so intelligent and they've, they've played the game for such a long time. Any little thing that, you know, that they see you respect um, and, you know, they just any little tidbit that you can get from, from those caliber players and you're going to take it and run with it. Uh, that is Canucks captain Bo Horvat, and I have to share this because earlier we played uh, the JT Miller audio, and Darren and Chestmere texted in saying, "Hi guys, hearing JT more and more, he sounds more like a captain rather than Bo." And uh, Darren and Chestmere just texted in, "Hi guys, more and more I hear Bo, and he sounds more like a captain." And he says, "Sorry guys, I just had to." LOL. So Darren and Chestmere immediately swayed back to the Bo Horvat side of things there, uh, listening to Bo Horvat, who said a lot of. Very similar things to what JT Miller had to say. And it stood out to me right off the start. You know, we got to start gearing up from here on out, which was almost exact, really echoes what JT Miller said. You know, from here on out, we've got to get our stuff together, right? That is the message from Canucks leadership. Let's erase what's already happened. But we're not saying it completely doesn't matter because we also know we need to be better uh, starting right now. Yep. (laughs) I mean, sure. Like, yeah. I mean, they're going to have a tough time tonight. It's going to be tough to be better tonight, but, you know, they got a couple games where you'd expect to see more starters, and, yeah, I mean, you need to look better than they did against Seattle. And, and look, I just want to see I just want to see a little bit of cleanliness and organization in the offensive zone. I'm not asking a lot. I'm just asking for a little bit of, a, a little bit of um, you know, fortitude in, well, that, in their own end of the ring. This is a tough one to judge, though, tonight, because as much as everyone wants to see a more organized effort, and as you said, with some cleanliness and all that, you know, well, I don't it, mean tonight. Tonight is okay. White okay, flag I was going to say because yeah, it's tonight's like, white flag. If, if Guillaume Brisebois misplays a, a, a Leon Drysaitel attack, it's like, well, okay, yeah, we figured that would happen. There's it's not, too, there's not too much you can learn from that. Leon Drysaitel's pretty good. Yeah, he is extremely, extremely good. <laughs> uh, but yes, and so they they have uh, tonight, obviously, and then the final two games Wednesday in Abbotsford and Friday as well to wrap up their preseason uh, schedule. Uh, speaking of uh, Bo Horvat. Um, Sportsnet's NHL insider from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night Canada as well, Elliot Friedman. He was on Donnie and Dolly today, and we don't have the audio just yet. We'll try to find it courtesy of, uh, of Donnie and Dolly on Check TV. Uh, but Rick Dollywald did tweet out that uh, Elliot Friedman on Bo Horvat contract talks. Everyone knows where they stand. Horvat comparable is in the Sean Couturier area, which is $7.7 million. A year. That was a a tweet a few minutes ago from Rick Dollywa. So again, we'll try to find the audio from that on Elliot Friedman. To no, me, that's, no surprise. Yeah, no surprise that that would be the kind of asking the the starting number for Bo Horvat. It would be a surprise to me if he agreed to a long term extension with that as the AAV with yeah. the Vancouver Canucks. Right. That that it's not a surprise that that's where it's that that's a number that's being thrown out there in negotiations. It is something that would very much surprise me if it got signed here. Well, for sure. But when you look at Bo Horvat's comparables, we need to update this because you remember we did like extendables week. Yeah. <laughs> back in, um, back in uh, what, I think it was May, maybe June. And we talked at length about this. Couturier was sort of the low end comp for Bo Horvat in the data, excuse me, in the data set we built, right? The fact is, is that um, Couturier's career points per game number, about point point six four. And Tomash Hurdles about 0.63 and Bo Horvat's 0.64. Like, the, the, that's it. Now, Couturier was a Selkie nominee, mm-hmm. so that changes things up. But Hurdle wasn't. And, you know, Bo Horvat's comparables are very much in that high seven range if you look at it mathematically. Now, 
Has that situation evolved a little bit, considering we now live in a world, a flat cap universe, where Nazem Kadri goes for seven, where uh, Vincent Trocek goes for 5.8, albeit with max term, where Ryan Strom goes for 5.5? Yeah, maybe, maybe a little bit, but not a ton, right? I mean, I, I need to sort of dive into exactly how compelling those comps are for Bo Horvat. Players, centermen, who are 30 goal scorers, um, might have threatened for 40, if not for a variety of injuries and COVID absences. Um, you know, they tend to get paid. They tend to get paid pretty well. And that's why I think you're obviously hearing a, a fair bit about a gap between the Canucks and Horvat. Um, but, you know, th- that range of comparables, I'm, I'm seeing some sticker shock from Canucks fans uh, on Twitter and, and on social media. Um, yeah, that's exactly in line with where I would have expected uh, Bo Horvat, not, not just where what his side was asking for, but in terms of what the comparables look like. Like, that's his market range, for sure, without question. You get him any less than that, you're getting a hometown discount. And that, there, I think a big part of the sticker shock is because of the Canucks cap situation, right? Which is, they, they already went long-term and big money with JT Miller, right? And there's just the question of how many more deals like this can you do and still find the flexibility and or even hope to find the flexibility to still meaningfully improve the team around these guys that you're that you're committing to, right? Like That's where the sticker shock comes from more than anything, I think. Yeah, and the, and the sort of sense or the question of, you know, do... Did the Canucks choose Miller over Bo? Mm-hmm. Right? I think that's a fair thing to wonder, considering how this played out over the course of the summer. The fact that they got Miller to a place that they're comfortable with, the fact that they haven't been able to get Bo there, despite the fact that there was, you know, copious optimism early on in the offseason, a sense that the two sides had uh, at least an understanding of what it would take uh, that never came to pass. And they end up doing Miller, uh, getting that deal done in late August. And do they have space to do both, I think, is a very relevant question to wonder. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a question that Bo Horvat himself is asking, right? Like, you know, you've been in you've been in work environments and seen people get promoted over you or get raises when you didn't. How does it make you feel? You know, like at the end of the day, Bo Horvat's a professional athlete, but it's not that different from an experience we've all had in various you know, stages of our own professional careers, whatever we do, whatever it is we're involved in. Um, you know, I, I think there's certainly, you know, a, a chance that that's not a chance, but I'm, I'm sure that's a dynamic that, uh, that is now hanging over a little bit, or at least shaping, uh, Bo Horvat talks at this juncture and certainly it's shaping Vancouver's posture where be it, you know, I don't think they feel the urgency to close quickly. So we get to this sort of stalemate as it were. Um, and we'll see if it gets resolved in, in short order. Yeah, and I mean, as we said... Or not. I don't know if it feels like it's going to get resolved in short order, right? We've heard start of the season, but we're only, what, nine days away now from the start of the season. Ten days away from the start of the season. Uh, well, and then the question week. becomes, will they talk in season? And, and all that usual stuff. But I mean, that's the script we're on, right? Like, that's the script we're on. And we'll see exactly how it plays out. You know, we know that this organization likes to operate, you know, close to the vest. Um, we know that Bo Horvat's camps tends to be pretty similar and this comparable that Friedman's throwing out is, is quite right. And something that, you know, again, we've been discussing on the show for four or five months, right? Like this is the range. This is what these types of players cost. And it is tough to do that deal from a Canucks perspective, considering all the other bloated commitments they've made. But, you know, 
at some point, like at some point, <laughs> you know, um, at some point you have to take your medicine. Like at yeah. some point you have to take your medicine. Well, and you, you're, you're in a very difficult spot because you might either have to pony up and pay that much for a player, even though it re- makes your cap situation even more complicated and challenging than it already is. The other option, option B, is potentially trade your captain in a year where you've made all this noise about how important it is to make the playoffs. And that's phenomenally difficult to do as well, right? And, you know, as we said... Well, and they've been clear, right? That they would be willing to do that. Well, that they have to do it. That they cannot afford to lose players for nothing, right? So, And, and realistically, if, unless you're trending to be like a 110-point division-winning team, you know, that's those are the types of tough decisions you have to be willing to make this management group's claimed that they are willing to make. They did make it on a far lower scale with Tyler Mott in the midst of a of a playoff race. Uh, you know, they've said they they've said they'll do it again. They've said their philosophy won't bend on that, you know, front, even for a player of Horvat's caliber and importance locally. It's uh it's gonna be an interesting one to watch. Lots of reaction coming in on this on the Bo Horvat. Final few minutes of the show here, uh six fifty, six fifty. That's a sticker shock, right? Uh, well, this one unsigned, and it it goes to what I was saying, right? The text is if Bo wants that type of money, then he has to get moved. But then the follow-up is how do we even fit that in, right? And it's not just about the idea in a vacuum of paying Bo Horvat that much money. It's about specifically when you're already in this position that the Canucks are and you have, you know, the Elias Pettersson extension again kind of looming on the horizon, how do you justify doing it, right? I think that more than anything uh, under kind of illustrates why the sticker shock is what it is. We had this one come in from Snoop the Dog as well who says, uh, could a big money extension for Horvat be the be dependent on the confidence in being able to move, uh, for example, Myers $6 million in the offseason? That's from Snoop the Dog. Look, that would make it easier, I'm sure, but Myers is a short-term contract at this point, right? In the offseason, he'll only have one year left on his deal. So, yeah, you would love to be able to move it, but I don't think that then makes it, justifies you turning around and making an extreme long-term commitment because they're just you're talking about completely different time frames with the two players. Well, and look, here's the thing to remember. I mean, with the Canucks positioned as they are cap-wise, right? Going into this offseason, they're going to be looking at, you know, assuming the cap rises another $1 million, which is, you know, widely expected. And even <laughs> the NHL's overly optimistic projections or characteristically optimistic projections hold an 83.5 uh, upper limit for next season. Um, you know, they're looking at about $14.6 million in cap space with 15 players signed. Uh, that's without any of the RFA. So that's without Hoaglander, who could be 2.3, very realistically, if he produces the way he has the past two years. Um, you know, plus Travis Dermott, right, who could earn a raise. Uh, we'll see. Uh, plus Andre Kuzmenko, who's expiring and is a full UFA. So if Kuzmenko does what you hope he's doing, right, that's a good problem to have. You want Kuzmenko to be worth like $4 million on his next deal, right? Because that means he's worked for this team next season. So all of those priorities to do, right? Even if you shed Myers off of that, right? Then you're looking at 20 million-ish in cap space. I, I also should add, this is this doesn't also factor in any bonus overages that the team accrues while operating in LTI uh, this season. Um, you know, you do all of that and then you move Myers. Well, now you have 20 million with which to sign eight players and your only defenders under contract are Hughes, ekman Larson, and Tucker Pullman. Good luck. Like, you know, even moving Myers isn't sufficient to give this team a a ton of cap flexibility. And, you know, they've locked themselves into this course of action. 
obviously, repeatedly with, with some of the short-term moves that they made, but they really did, this management group exacerbated it in some ways by committing almost $13 million to Mikhaev and, and Miller. Good players. They'll make this team better, but, you know, <laughs> that limits your cap flexibility. Tough choices are on the horizon in some format. Um, you know, it, it may end up shaping the outcome with Bo Horvat. Not to rhyme, not to go all Mike Tyson on you to end the show, but... <laughs> Or I guess Sorry. Don King. Yes, the promoter. Yeah, yeah. No, you didn't threaten to uh, to eat my children. No, like like, like Mike Tyson. At least not on air. Did not on air. No, you save <laughs> you save that for after we go off. Uh, and and on that note, we will end the show today. We will be back. I I have a pretty good idea that we'll probably talk a little bit more about Bo Horvat tomorrow. Uh, we'll react to the game at Edmonton tonight uh, again, and an exciting announcement for real, for real this time. I've been assured an exciting announcement about the show uh, coming up tomorrow. For now, we'll turn you over to the people's show, Bick Nazar and Israel Fair today. Uh, you've got it on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.